if you have your scriptures with you this morning. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 17 through 24. Out with the old and with the new. We're starting into a new section of the fourth chapter. Really, it's just a, as Paul almost always does, it's just a continuation of his own thought pattern. But this is a different section a little bit. And it connects back to, once we get down to 25, you'll see that there's that speak the truth with his neighbor passage there again. So he's going to circle right back around. He's going to put a, I kind of call this a parenthetical statement a little bit, um, like he did in chapter 3, but he's just backfilling some things here. But it's going to be good for our souls, uh, and I think it will grow you as in your Christian walk this morning. And you will be blessed by understanding a few of the things that he's talking about here this morning. So as we do, let's read the word of the Lord and let's pray and let's get after it. The next two hours. Yes. It doesn't matter. Listen to me. It does not matter if I go two hours. Steve will be in my office next week and we'll spend another hour and a half together. Right, brother? I love it. His, uh, his desire to understand scripture is just unbelievable right now. Thank you for that. Gives me encouragement. Beginning in the verse 17 and um, down through, let's read through, I don't know, let's uh, read through the end of the chapter. That'll give us a flavor for all of it. This is going to kind of be an overview of this last section anyway, before we dive into it a little further over the next couple weeks. He begins in 17, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. But they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. Wow, what a scathing statement, right? I want to get into that a little bit this morning. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way that you learn Christ. You see the big turnaround right here? And then these verses here, I just rich in my heart. That's not the way that we learn Christ, right? Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him and this fabulous statement here, as the truth is in Jesus. Wow. To put off your old self. That's out with the old and in with the new, right? Which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we're members of one another, beloved. Be angry, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only as such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Another amazing statement. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time of overview of this passage and, 
And as we uh, just pick at a few of the great deep truths here this morning, Father, will you bless us in that? Will you lead us and guide us? Lead me, Father, and, and, and with the work of your Holy Spirit, apply these words and these truths to our heart in such a way uh, that they accomplish what you've set them out to do. That is the promise of the Word of God, that when it goes out, that it is sharpened as a two-edged sword, that it divides, it gets into places of us, it divides to the joint and to the marrow, it gets in deep into our conscience, into our heart, and it separates truth from untruth, and it grows us. It's my prayer, I think it's Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus and the church today as he suffered long under his apostleship and writing these words and as he was an apostle, a faithful man to these churches, he suffered greatly for the word of God, but he saw that it was worth it. It is worth it. It's worth it today to give our whole lives to understand who you are in this truth. So Lord, meet us there with the work of the Holy Spirit. We beg of you, Father, give us this day our daily bread. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, with our hearts prepared, let's get into this just for, just for a few minutes. This morning, and I promise it won't be two hours. Sorry, Steve. Uh, and as we do, I just I want to look at the model prayer a little bit. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Keep your finger in Ephesians. We're going to come right back. But if you'll turn to Matthew chapter 6, I just want to read those verses there and then correlate this um, to what I think Paul's working on here. And it's just a small theme that I catch going through it this morning. There'll be several others. This passage is rich. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 15, of course, is this is the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, this is the Lord's Prayer. And if you were here for Sunday school this morning, uh, one of the... Um, former Catholics, uh, Frederick, was here this morning, and Frederick really gave some great testimony about how his life was changed when he started reading his own Bible and began to understand it, and it was just sweet and precious, and I think uh, this Lord's Prayer is something that a lot of times that we leave out as Baptists, and I don't want to leave that out. You know, it's a, it's a model prayer that my wife understood because she grew up Catholic, but sometimes it's one that Baptists leave out. I don't want to leave this out because of uh, one specific line this morning. And it's a line that deals directly with who we are and how we should act as the church. And uh, my sister and I have been talking about this. She came up to me uh, last week at the meal and wanted to know about eschatology and how the world ends. And this is the one line that I bring to a lot of people that kind of stunts you a little bit. I think it kind of turns you around because a lot of people don't catch this line in this passage, but it's for the church, it's for us today. Let's read this together, uh, beginning in verse 9. And you know the story here. Uh, Jesus' uh, disciples had come to him and asked him to teach them how to pray. And you can see this in Luke as well. And it gives a little bit more, of the, even more of the background there. But then he says um, to not be like the Pharisees who just heap words upon heard, words just to be heard, just to be public prayers. You know, oftentimes we're afraid to pray, but uh, Jesus teaches us how to pray here. It's not about our words. It's about our heart and about our devotion. But it's in this prayer I want, to, I want you to catch something that works with our passage in Ephesians this morning. Verse 9, he says, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
And this is how every good prayer starts, right? We, we recognize God is holy, that he is in heaven, he is above us, and that he's the Father, creator of all things. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. That could be the line here this morning. Uh, it's uh, reciprocity that we, we're forgiven in the amount that we forgive. That's scary, isn't it? Uh, but that's not the one I want to focus on this morning. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But it's in this model prayer that we see several things that are connected to Ephesians chapter 4. But most specifically, you see it there in, chapter, or in verse 10 of chapter 6. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you see that? God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Where is that happening right now? At Wawa? That's a trick question. Don't answer that. Where is God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven? Right this very minute. Right here in the church, beloved, in your hearts. It's in you people and your pastor. It's in God's people. Now, I believe this grows, that God's will will ultimately be done. Our final position is on the new heavens and the new earth, as my sister and I have talked about at length. Uh, and we're probably going to talk about a lot more because I know her desire for the, to understand the scriptures. But it's this part this morning that the will that, the, that is being done, the blessing that God gets. Have you ever told your child how to do something? Yeah. Yeah, you do. You tell them. You tell them how to live. You tell them what to do. And I, you know, Liz and I have had the joy of seeing some of our older children grow up and follow some of the things that we've taught them. It blesses your heart, doesn't it? It's one of the greatest blessings of being a parent is seeing a child living by the way you taught them to live and ultimately knowing that since you've made that foundation in God that they're living the way that God wants them to do. Well, beloved, how do you think it is when God looks down from heaven and sees us living like we're supposed to live? He gets great joy when he sees you praying and hears your prayers. He gets great joy when he sees you giving your Christian testimony, whether it's by the way you're acting or by your own testimony from your mouth. He gets great joy when he sees you in heaven reading. He gets great joy that we gathered here this morning. He is blessed by his children's efforts because they are doing his will on earth as it is in heaven. Just as the heaven is gathered together this morning singing praises to God, singing all those things and doing everything that attends the throne of God. So we gather this morning, we sing praises, we uphold his word, we want to live a life like he wants us to live. We want to be obedient children. We want to be God's children and we want to see his will, his kingdom come right here on earth in our hearts and in Pennsville and in this church and in that school down the road. We want to see that. I mean, that would be a, a, a case to make for the whole motivation of why I want a school because I want to raise children that do God's will, right? That excites my heart to no end. By the way, we're up to 18 kids now. Huh? Is that, keep praying, you guys. God's going to do great things. But to see God's will being done is his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, now, back to chapter 4, verse 17. But he brings all of heaven and earth and the Lord to witness against that in saying, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do 
in the futility of their minds. In fact, 17, 18, and 19 is just a difficult set of verses. What he's saying is to the churches, he's saying, Beloved, quit. He had just said, do you see it? If you go back over there, chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you've been called. In other words, Paul said it there, and he's getting ready to repeat it and bring it back to the fore. Quit walking like you used to walk and begin to walk like children of God. Quit walking like the Gentiles, and what is the word Gentiles but the word nations. Keep, quit walking like the world. Go out with the old is what he's going to say when we get down to 20 and 21. He's going to say, get rid of the old and bring in the new, right? Get rid of the old way of thinking and bring in the new way of thinking. It's really not new to us, beloved, because these words are 2,000 years old. I'm not suggesting that there's some new way to worship God here other than the old past, the old way. The way that's been given to us in Scripture is that we be obedient to the words of Scripture and we worship God like he's called us to worship him, that we live our lives like he's called us to live them. And that's what he is saying as he turns in this passage. He's saying, don't live like the old man, live like the new man. Don't live like the, and wear the garments and live the life of the old man, but wear the garments and put on the new self. And what is he talking about other than we were lost as lost could be. We were sinners stuck in sin. He's going to tell us all about that. We're going to look into it. And we were just impossible, futile minds. We had sensuality and greed and all those things. Basically, what he is saying is that we were so self-centered, that's all that we thought about. But he's saying, put that away and go to the new, go to the, to the new man, go to what God has called you to be. Go, you're forgiven. Don't be drugged down by the sin of the old man, but receive the forgiveness of the new man. Live in the white clothes and the white raiment that he's put on because of the blood of Christ. He's saying, get rid of that. Grab a hold of this. Why is that so hard to do? Why is that so hard to do? It's hard to do. But we need to do it as believers. Let's look at this a little bit. He said, I testify in the Lord. In other words, he had just told us about speaking the truth of love and that this makes the church grow. Go back just a little bit further. He said, you've been given the apostles, the prophets, right? The evangelists, the pastors and teachers so that they can teach you the word of God. Because this is the key here, beloved, this morning is that it's in the word of God is how we put off the old man and bring on the new. So that they can teach you, so that you can unify together, so that you can walk in the new life and put away the old life. That's what Paul is saying. But there, there's something going on here because we're still living in the same body. He's saying we must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. They were in the futility of their minds. Wow, what a statement. The futility, the emptiness, the vainness of their minds. Their minds were always on and continually on vain things. Our minds were trained like that, beloved, before we were Christ. So our minds are still full of things that the old world and we try to grasp and try to live in and try to reconcile and try to bring into the new world. But he's saying, put away, no longer walk that way, but only walk in this way. And what he's saying here in verse 18, they're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous. They have given themselves up to sensuality. That word is licentiousness. It's a great word. Get into it a little bit more here. Give me just a minute. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But this is not how you learn Christ. 
This is not what you heard of Christ. This is not how you've been taught in Christ. You're to put away those things. So let's look at those things a little bit and how we put them away. Let's go over to Romans. Keep your finger here. And let's juxtapose this with a much more popular passage from Romans chapter 1. Because what we're going to see is that there's some great parallels here. And then I just want you to see this. And why the world acts like it does is because it's living in that old man. And why we're to quit acting like that because it is not profitable. It is not doing the will of God in this place. Romans chapter 1, let's begin in verse 18. There's four steps here that we see in Ephesians. It's the obstinacy of the sinner, the darkness in the sinner, the death that comes, and then the reckless living that is a result. And these are steps. Paul is naming them in the steps. He says it's first a futility of mind. They're darkening their understanding, this ignorance, and it's because of the hardness of their heart. That word hardness of their heart there is pariasis. It is uh, the hardening of the bones and joints. It reminds you, it's where we get the idea uh, of stiff bones and joints that continue to get worse because of arthritis. It's that growing of calcium, and it's the difficulty. In other words, it's a growing thing in the lost, and it's a thing that the, the new man is pushing away. The old, out with the old, in with the new. Obstinacy, darkness, death and judgment, and recklessness. And it's my heart to give you these this morning so that you'll see that that is the stage of movement in our world today. It explains our world today. First, the obstinacy. He says it's due in verse 18 in chapter 4 of Ephesians. It's due to the hardness of their heart. It's a, it's a, it's a stubborn unwillingness to learn, if you will. It's a stubborn, specifically, it's a stubborn unwillingness to learn of the things of God. In Romans 1, we see this in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by that unrighteousness to suppress the truth. Man, if that doesn't explain the world that we live in today. To suppress the truth, you have to know the truth. But God... God's wrath is being revealed in our world today through the homosexuality, through the transgenderism, through the, the, the unbelievable increase in suicides. That's God's wrath on our culture, and it brings a culture of death. It brings a culture of obstinacy and darkness, and death and judgment is all around us. And it's because of sin in the world. And that's what Paul is trying to tell you. Put away those things. Walk away from them. And I think, in effect, what he's trying to tell us is you're going to have to really step out and live by faith because the world we live in is so dark, you just need to be totally opposite. You can no longer rely on the practical things that you used to rely on as a sinner. You've been changed. Now you rely on God and his word and his faith. So the ungodliness and unrighteousness we see around us is the wrath of God on this nation by people who suppress the truth. And I, just very quickly, I'll tell you that when folks are confronted and I go downtown Philly, man, they suppress the truth. I know that they know abortion is murder. And I know that each one of you know that in your hearts. But yet they fight for it. They're willing to fight tooth and nail. They're willing to stand outside that clinic and volunteer their time to fight against an individual like me who comes and speaks the truth. It's the most amazing suppression and desire to suppress the truth. So this obstinacy, it's about a mental stubbornness, a closed mind. 
Verse 21, do you see it there in Romans? For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became, and here's that same word, futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts just kept getting darker. And that's the next stage in this. They go from this obstinacy. They want to deny who God is. And beloved, this is why it's important for you to put off the old man. Don't deny who God is. You see it all around you. Confirm that, but put on the new self. Deny the darkness. This darkness and, and this darkness comes from the, from the purposeful putting away of the truth of God. Um, if the beginning, if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the suppression of the truth of God is the beginning of a descent into chaos. You understand that? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but the purposeful suppression of the truth of God is the beginning of the descent into chaos. It's a descent into a place of darkness and death and judgment. And look what happens. Verse 24 in Romans 1. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts. Verse 26. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And the end of this is, is what Paul is saying, that if you continue in this direction, if you continue to commingle these, you can't do that. You've got to separate the two specifically. But if you continue in that direction, you'll see it. And they did not see fit, uh, verse 28, Romans chapter 1, to acknowledge God. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish. This list goes on and on, doesn't it? Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And here's the summation of it all in verse 32. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve death, they not only do these things, but give approval to those who practice them. There, I'm done with Romans chapter 1. Just a brief interlude there tells you and explains to you why we see the world that we see. Because when you're obstinate against the things of God, you descend into darkness and death and judgment and just a total irrational lifestyle as a result of that. These shameless acts, these dishonorable passions, this improper conduct, all manners of wickedness all become what happens in our world for people that are living the old life, that are just invested in it to the point where they cannot get out without the gospel of God. But beloved, you are not like that. You are put on the new self, and that's where we get to Paul here. This is not the way you learn Christ as we go back to verse 20 of chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians. But this is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. And there's three things that I want to highlight there. First, that you learn Christ. Secondly, that you heard directly from him. And finally, that you were taught in him. And this is why I don't want you to mingle the two and why we can't do this mingling of the two, the old self and the new self in the church because it just causes all of these uh, corruptions and all of these things and 
And there's not one person here that's been here for the long haul doesn't understand the reputation that this church has in this community. We need to put these things away from us as far away as we can and put on the new self. To put on the new self to be obedient with the word of God. To be obedient with the word of God of what God's called us to do in this community. To do the things that God's called us to do and let other people see us doing the things that God's called us to do. Not arguing amongst ourselves, not posting silly things on Facebook and silly sayings, but coming to one another in brotherly love. And by the way, that's where he's capturing this. He said, speak the truth in love, and he's going to go right back to it. When he says, speak the truth with your neighbor, that is, beloved, your other church members. We get so bound up in the things of the world, beloved. And when we get bound up in them, we descend right back into that. But this is not the way we've learned Christ. First, Christ is himself the substance of Christian teaching. He is the central. If you want to understand what Christianity is, look at Jesus Christ. I am his, he is mine. If I had to sum up what Christianity is, it is Jesus Christ and that I am his and that he is mine. Just as evangelists preach Christ, so hearers, members of the church, learn Christ and receive him. That is, we receive a tradition about him, what he wants, what means, what brings us to obedience to him. What Christ kind of Christ do we learn? What he expects of us? What he wants us to do as his church? We learn all of those things. We learn Christ. He says that and he turns us here, but that is not the way you learn Christ. And when he says that, in all of the sin and all of the obstinacy and the death and the dissension into sin, he is saying that's not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him, Assuming that you've truly heard from Christ, you can no longer live that life. You're putting those things out of your life. Remember, this started with the futility of their minds. And, beloved, this is one thing I want you to take away more than anything this morning is that if you're to fight sin and put sin out of your life, you have to change your mind. Your mind is the seed of your will. Your mind is what leads you to act. Scripture is replete on this. Your mind must be renewed, as Paul's going to say here in 21, in the spirit of Christ, with the word of Christ, to be obedient to Christ, to do the work of Christ, to love Christ. Your mind has to be full of Christ, saturated in Christ, overflowing with Christ and his word and his truth. Because it was in the futility of their minds they wanted to stay. Calvin said this, the mind holds the highest rank in the human constitution. It is the seed of reason. Underline that. It presides over the will, and it restrains. Ultimately, the mind will restrain sinful desires. Now, let me just take you back to the Garden of Eden. Right? This is how sin starts in our life. This is how we put off the old self and bring on the new self. This is how we put away any remnant of the old self as we bring that into whatever we bring it into, whether it be our marriage as a father or mother, into the church, wherever it is. It's the battle is won, fought and won in the mind. When God, or when Satan came to Eve in the Garden of Eden, what did he say? Did God really say? See, 
Eve's mind had already begun to think about the fruit of the tree, hadn't it? That's where it starts. It didn't start with her mindlessly just grabbing the fruit and eating it. It started up here. It started with a desire. It started with a belief that, you know, I know that, I know that God's word says this, but let's, this is more practical. This is more, God's word is always more practical. What God says is always the way. What God says will always lead to life. What God says will always build up the new man. And what God says not to do will always accentuate the old man, all right? And that's what happened to Eve. She thought in her mind, well, the fruit does look good. It does look good to eat. And I desire the knowledge that it's supposed to give. And she was an easy mark because Satan was playing on her desires. Beloved, Satan's going to play on your desires this morning. He's going to tell you something looks good. He's going to tell you to make that comment or to say that thing or to choose that option. And it's going to lead to something much more. Because when she took of that fruit, what happened? Her desires were realized, weren't they? But she brought sin and death into the whole world. The, the, the fight then is certainly in our minds. Let's turn very quickly to James chapter 1. It explains this more fluently than I ever could. James chapter 1. It's right after the book of Hebrews if you're looking for it. Start there in verse 12, chapter 1, James. And this reads like an answer to what happened in the garden. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God promised to those who love him. And that in itself is a depiction. Do we put on the new man or the old? Let no one say when he is tempted... I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted. This is how temptations become sin. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And right there is where it starts, in the mind, beloved. It's in your mind. When he is tempted by his own desire, then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin and to Sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And that is the exact pattern that Paul's giving us here. Jesus said to look at a woman in lust. That takes place in the mind, right? Lust takes place in the mind. To look at the woman in lust is to commit adultery with him. To hate our brother is to commit murder. And this is Satan's battleground. Listen, beloved, there's one thing that I want you to know, and that this place in our mind we give to Satan. He cannot take it from us as children of God. We can only give it to him. The battleground is in our mind. He is not omniscient. He doesn't have God's powers. He can only do what God lets him do. And when we deny him, when we know God's truth and we push him away and we overcome the noetic effects of sin in our mind, we are indeed doing what God has called us to do to put on the new man. 
Scripture bears an unwavering testimony to the power of ignorance and error to corrupt, the power of truth to liberate and ennoble and refine a person. Over and over we read this in the Scriptures. So you learn Christ. You heard from Christ. You continually hear from Christ in the Word of Christ. And you were taught in Christ. These things all happened at your conversion. Whenever you were saved, you had put on Christ, put on the new man at that point. But then life is a continual going after and hearing Christ and living for that new man and pushing away the old man. And I just want to leave you with this passage in Revelation this morning. It talks about the interminable victory that we have. It's continual. And it gives three ways in Revelation chapter 12. Turn there, if you will, with me, and we'll just end there today. And this passage is familiar. This passage is telling us about the great dragon and about the woman. The woman here depicts the nation of Israel. She's having a son. That son be Christ. And that great dragon was dense, had swept down to kill that child. It kind of brings the whole story of Christianity together. And it gets to the point there in verse 7. Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. The dragon here is the devil. And the dragon and his angels, they had fought back. But he was defeated. Underline that in your scriptures. The devil is defeated. Long ago, he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. The ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He can only deceive, right? That is his possession. He is the deceiver of the whole world. He accuses the brethren. He will accuse the brethren of your mind. And this is where the battle takes place. It takes place in your mind because he'll make you believe that your brother and sister in Christ are doing things that they're not really doing. He deceives the whole world. That's his only power is he's good with lies. But he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ, underline authority, have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. He is the one who accuses them day and night before our God. But look at this, verse 11. They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and because they love not their lives even to death. You want to conquer Satan? You want to conquer the old man? Those three things. By the blood of the Lamb, by the word of your testimony, and because you do not love your life here more than you love your life with Christ. That's how we conquer, beloved. That's how we build church. That's how we go forward. That's how we bring his will on earth as it is in heaven. By the blood of the testimony, by the blood of the Lamb, by Jesus dying and us having faith in his sacrificial death, his perfect life and sacrificial death on our behalf, we can stand before God clean, pure, reconciled, 
We can go to him. We can live. We can put on the new man. We can put on the white raiment. Listen to me, beloved. When you go to a wedding, you put on certain clothes. A lawyer goes to court and he goes to argue on, his, on your behalf. He puts on a suit. We put on different clothing. We put on the clothing of righteousness that we're called as saints to bear and to wear by putting away the things of the old man. And we can only do that through the blood of Jesus Christ because he died on our behalf to give us what the new man can have. And it's the word of that testimony that lets us live that life, that Christ is king, that Jesus is Lord, that his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's our daily testimony that we can live through this life we can face all the challenges of this world. We can push back any of the sin because of what Christ has done in us. We have the tools available. We need to use the tools available. And our testimony is that I was a wretched sinner and that God has saved me. It's the word of my testimony. Listen to me. We talked about this in Sunday school this morning, but each of you have a separate testimony of what God's done in your life to bring you from the old man you know the sin that you were caught in. You know the darkness that you were pulled and sucked down into. You know the death that you caused, the destruction. And you know the salvation that he brought to you. It's personal to each one of us. So it's by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony that we love this life more than we love this life. Amen? Amen. We have got to love this life more than we love this life. But here's the nuance. We get bogged down in the battles of this world over power, over money, over what should be this and what should be that. And when we get sucked into that, we're pushing this away. Paul says that is not how you learn Christ. Beloved, it is my prayer that we will love this life so much that the word of the testimony of this church will go out into this community and it'll change the minds of people and what they thought they've heard and what they thought they knew because they'll see our unity. They'll see, you know what they're going to see? Start back where, finish where I started. They're going to see his kingdom come, his will be done right here on earth, Pennsville, New Jersey, as it is in heaven. Is that what we want? Is it within our power? It is, beloved. Put away sin. Put away sin. Put away the old life and grab to the new. This is what Jesus died. This is the forgiveness you have in the gospel. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to a close this morning, just simple kind of words of the overview of this passage of Scripture. There's so much here. And uh, we'll go back and we'll dig some of it out. And we'll learn even more, Father. But teach us each and every day to do your will here on earth as it is done in heaven. Father, that is the final position. All the things of the old will be gone one day. All the temptations all the desires, all the treachery, all the death, you're going to wipe them totally away. And all there will be is life. Help us to live in that new life today. 
in such a way that all can see. Father, thank you for your grace, your mercy for these beloved saints here at Park Bible Baptist Church. Will you bless them this morning? Bless them in this word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now to our table, the ultimate invitation of the Lord Jesus Christ. If our men will come.